What's up, everyone? Welcome to BCL Coast to Coast, the official podcast of the Basketball Champions League. My name is Austin Green, and joining me, as he does every week, on the other end is David Hine out in Germany. Dave, how's it going this week? Fantastic. Uh, loads of great international basketball games. Uh, but you know what? To be honest, really looking forward to, to the BCL starting back up. Uh, so uh, get to talk about the uh, preview a couple of the games for next week. Uh, but uh, yeah, some some great international action, and uh, we'll talk to talk a little about a uh, little bit about that. Yeah, I'm really excited as well for the BCL to return. Uh, game day eight will be Tuesday, December 11th, and Wednesday, December 12th. So that's going to be the second half of the BCL regular season. On this week's show, though, we're going to talk a little bit about the FIBA World Cup qualifying window that just wrapped up, and we'll also have an interview with Jeff Taylor, who's play-by-play commentator extraordinaire. If you watch international basketball, you'll certainly recognize his voice. Uh, he calls a lot of games for the BCL, and he also worked during the FIBA World Cup qualifying window. So we talked to him uh, last week before the World Cup window games took place, and we touched on a lot of different topics just from his career uh, as a commentator some of the best games, some of the craziest environments he's been in, uh, as well as just some general thoughts on the BCL uh, this season. So we'll get to Jeff in a little bit. Before we do that, let's talk a bit about the World Cup qualifying window. 18 of the 32 teams have now qualified for the 2019 World Cup. That's going to take place in China, August 31st through September 15th in 2019. From Africa, three of the five teams have qualified. That's Tunisia, Angola, and Nigeria. From the Americas region, four of the seven teams have now qualified. That's Argentina, Venezuela, the USA, and Canada. Over in Asia, four of the seven teams there have qualified. China, they're the tournament hosts, so they're automatically in, while Australia, New Zealand, and Korea have all qualified through the windows. And in Europe, seven of the 12 teams have clinched their spots. That's Germany, Spain, Turkey, Lithuania, Greece, France, and the Czech Republic. Uh, Dave, there were about 50 BCL players who competed with their national teams in their windows. Who were some of the standout performers for you uh, from this most recent window? Well, uh, I think probably one of them would have been uh, Amit Mbai from from Bologna, uh, made his national team debut with France and and really stood out, especially in the big game against the Czech Republic uh, with 18 points. And uh, yeah, was able to to get them qualified for the World Cup. So that's a pretty uh, pretty uh, pretty big accomplishment. Uh, and obviously, probably a, a big moment for him to uh, to play for to play for such a, a storied uh, national team program. Uh, speaking of storied national team programs, I probably another another one would would be Pietro Aradori from also Bologna. Uh, we will talk about non-Bologna guys as well. Uh, but just you know him having having such a standing with the national team, and and actually he ended up going back home to Brescia where the game was. And was the captain there, and and uh, you know that was that was a great game against against uh, Lithuania, you know just two storied uh, national team programs doing battle, and uh, you know thrilling end at, uh, to that game. Uh, Italy still are not qualified; they 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 ended up losing to to Poland and have to wait uh, to the final window. But uh, it was cool seeing uh, Aridori, and actually that that Brescia was kind of neat because a lot of the uh, quite a few of the players had big games who 
are from the best gear club. So that was pretty cool. And another note that I kind of wanted to just as somebody who, who covers a lot of youth basketball, uh, Isaf Sano, uh, Usaf Sano, uh, from, uh, Petro Olympia made his senior national team debut for Ukraine, uh, playing against Slovenia, some of his, uh, Olympia teammates, uh, scored 11 points and, uh, hit uh, two, three pointers. So it was pretty, uh, it was a pretty good performance by him. He ended up not playing against Spain uh, in for Ukraine, but um, but you know it's definitely a big moment for for him. And yeah, just in general, just uh, you know, 18 of 32 teams. So we still have a lot of teams um, to to really to be decided. And uh, that just begs that the that the the final window is going to be you know really even more exciting than than this one was. And this one was plenty exciting. Uh, who are some of the guys that you really uh, kind of uh, wanted to highlight from this uh, past window. Yeah, looking over in the African region, a couple of huge games. Jeremy and Zueli, the shooting guard for Strasbourg, he had a 30-point game against Egypt. He made 7 of 9 from 2-point range, 5 of 11 from the 3-point line. He also had 5 assists, 4 rebounds in that game. So Zueli was really uh, impressive with that 30-point performance uh, to help keep Cameroons uh, stay alive. And then also in the African region, uh, Yannick Morera, the Pauk big man, he was dominant for Angola and, and really consistent as well. He had 13 and nine against Cameroon, then 13 points, 10 rebounds, five assists versus Chad, and then nine points, six rebounds versus Tunisia. So uh, a really solid performance from Morera. And then I just wanted to give a quick shout out to Tamir Blatt from Israel, a guy who we mentioned on last week's podcast. He was both of our choice for the best young player through the first half of the BCL season. He had a great game against Serbia in the first game of the window. Uh, He had 10 points, nine assists, seven steals, only one turnover in Israel to lead them to what I think would be an upset win over Serbia. He didn't do as well in the second game. Uh, They lost a thriller on the road at Georgia. uh, And and that's a game that I would definitely recommend people go and check out. It went to overtime. uh, Really, really thrilling game there. Israel lost in kind of heartbreaking fashion. Uh, Thad McFadden, the Tenerife guard, had a pretty solid game for Georgia with nine points, five assists. And that was just a, a an example of some of the you know the exciting games that you get in the FIBA windows where these national teams are playing in front of their home fans. It's not often that the people of Georgia get to see their national team play and 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 get to see you know some of these great players from other countries coming through. So that was really cool. Uh, Dave, what did you think about that uh, Israel Georgia game? You know, it, it, you mentioned heartbreaking and. And you really have to feel for Israel in this in this qualification. Um, you know they had the I think it was twenty four or twenty six point lead against Germany, lost uh, in overtime in Germany, um, where they had the um, I think it was uh, Dennis Schroeder to Maxi Kleber uh, inbound alley oop layup uh, with zero point three seconds left, and then they go and beat Serbia which is an absolute huge victory for them. And then they go and lose uh, in Georgia. And, you know, if they had, if they hadn't lost, lost that game, they would have put uh, Serbia under some serious pressure about even getting to the world cup. Uh, And now in order for them to win, they basically have to win both games and then have Serbia and Georgia lose both games. Um, They can win, you know, if if Serbia lose both games and, and Georgia win once, 
Israel would then have to beat Serbia by 22 points or more. So, and that's pretty, Oof. you know, yeah. But yeah, so, it's not happening. Yeah, that's not happening. But you, they were that close to to really giving the 2014 uh, Basketball World Cup finalists, um, you know, it's a serious, serious scare about not going to the World Cup. So uh, huge game by Tamir Blatt and then, you know, wasn't able to come up against uh, against McFadden and the rest of Georgia. Um, so, yeah, just loads of action. And, and, and that was probably the heart the heartbreaker um of of the of the window i would say especially after them pulling the absolute huge victory over over serbia yeah yeah absolutely tough matchup against georgia who had some some really great big guys coming out of that country uh like toko shangelia for baskonia he didn't play but they had georgie shermadini and, and goga bitadze so that country uh you know not exactly a powerhouse on the national team level but they've been producing some great big guys and that's a that's a really tough matchup for a team like israel um, so the next FIBA qualifying window is going to happen in February. Like Dave said, that's going to be filled with a ton of drama as uh, some of these teams scramble to scoop up those last qualifying spots. So make sure you check that out. That'll be after the end of the BCL regular season, but before the playoffs start in early March. So stay tuned for that. We'll surely get into that a little bit more as it gets closer. Next up on the program, we've got Jeff Taylor, play-by-play commentator extraordinaire for FIBA and the Basketball Champions League. Uh, this was a, a really fun interview. Always great to talk to Jeff, one of the most knowledgeable people in the international basketball scene. So it was great to talk to Jeff. Dave and I will catch you at the, at the other side of this long interview to wrap things up and preview BCL Game Day 8. Penetrates. Rissacopoulos, the man of the moment. Drives in, puts it up. Puts it in! Another one! Of course it had to be him. Who else could it be? He has been utterly sensational tonight. McFadden has it. Shot clock down. Game clock down to seven. McFadden drives in. Has the ball knocked away. Bayron puts up a prayer! It's short! And Pauk have won! Another close game! Okay, so on the show this week, a voice you know well if you follow international basketball if you follow the basketball champions league jeff taylor jeff welcome to the show well good morning everybody wherever you are in the world it's uh it's nice bright early rainy in valencia which is where i'm talking to you from i was trying to give you my introduction that i give you for the games but (laughs) i don't know if that came across very well uh jeff has been calling games for uh quite a long time we were talking before the show goes back to 1997 um, has seen loads and loads and loads of club basketball, of international basketball, uh, has has really given us some iconic calls, uh, really throughout the world. Um, you know, let's you know for Jeff, let's to start off maybe uh, just give us some of your career highlights. Um, maybe along with that, some of the craziest games you remember, the best games that you remember. Uh, just give us a little bit of a trip down memory lane. Uh, when when we say uh, calling games, well, uh, I've got so many. I don't know where to start. I'll, I'll go back at the very early stages, back in 1998, uh, the World Championship, uh, 1998 in Athens and the USA. Their players did not come over because of the lockout. Their NBA players, so uh, they nevertheless had a great team, and they were playing Russia in the semifinals. And I'll never forget Sergey Panov uh, dribbling the ball the length of the floor and scoring 
a go-ahead winning basket in the final seconds uh, to beat the USA in that game and to get to the final, of course. Then in the final, they lost to Yugoslavia. Uh, that was an unforgettable moment, as was that the women's final that year in Berlin, uh, Russia and the USA playing arguably the greatest final of all time. And it was Ruthie Bolton Holyfield. I'll never forget hitting some big three pointers for the USA in that in that game to to get them the victory. Um, the most famous, uh, the, the the enduring one that I'll never forget, and I think it's arguably the greatest uh, day in international basketball history. And I think you would probably agree with me, Dave, because I know you were there. Was in Saitama, Japan, mm-hmm. 2006. Uh, the first semifinal of that FIBA Basketball World Cup. We watched. Uh, Spain beat Argentina in an absolute thriller. And then the next game, uh, we watched Greece, excuse me, we watched Greece first beat USA in an absolute thriller, uh, 101 to 95. That's the last time the USA have lost a game in international competition. Yeah, and then- that was a game where Big Sofo, Schwarzenegger, kind of took over with Papa Lucas. And, uh, or or and number watched- four, as Coach K says. Yeah, number four uh, was Papa Lucas. Um, and yeah, he was in the press conference and they're like, which players, uh, did gave you problems? He's like, Oh, that number four was really good. So he <laughs> caught some flack. He caught some flack for not knowing who the, uh, other, other team and the other players were. But anyway, they moved on from that and then, and obviously have dominated ever since. And then, and, and then we watched that incredible game, uh, with Pau Gasol getting injured, having been arguably the best player in the tournament in Spain. Uh, still holding on for a one-point win. Manu Ginobili knifing his way into the lane in the final seconds. And instead of shooting, passing to the right corner to Andres Nocioni, who had a wide-open look. And his attempt hit off the rim and bounced out. And Spain went to the final. And we all know what happened then. They just absolutely thrashed Greece unexpectedly without Pau Gasol because Pau Gasol got injured. With the T-shirts. The, what was the T-shirts? Nosotros, Pau, or something uh, like that, right? It said Pau is also playing. I can't uh, remember specifically okay. in Spanish. Uh-huh. But, but yeah, it's just uh, just incredibly bizarre. But the 2008 Olympic final was, uh, was terrific, as was the 2012, both of those USA-Spain games. Um, but I, I don't want to just always talk about Spain and the USA. I mean, in Greece, I mean, there have been some other incredible – Incredible performances by Lithuania over the years, former Yugoslav Republic of Macedonia. You re- we remember them beating Lithuania in Lithuania in 2011. Um, in recent times, uh, you know, even last year, one of the greatest games ever was watching Latvia play Slovenia in the quarterfinals of the Eurobasket and Goran Dragic and Luka Doncic uh, kind of winning the day there. Anthony Randolph for Slovenia and then going on and and winning the title, beating Serbia. So, yeah, just a lot of good memories. And to be honest, Dave and Austin, there's so many games that they, they come so fast and furious that, that sometimes they start to blur. But those those games that I mentioned, will I'll, I'll never forget. And I'll never forget 2014, uh, being in Bilbao, watching Finland play and 10,000 Finnish fans traveling to the north of Spain to support their national team. It was unbelievable. It was like being in Finland. So. Just a lot of great memories around around international basketball. 
Yeah, for sure. I'm I'm glad you mentioned that uh that Finland game because that's a a good transition. We were also wondering about just kind of some of the craziest atmospheres you've been in. Uh, you know, whether it's club basketball or or at the international level. Um, it, are there anything anything jump out to you just in terms of like crazy environments? You know, something always crazy happens uh when there are big games in Greece. And uh, and obviously I've been to a lot of games at Valencia Basket here in Spain and you just would not believe the intensity of the support at some of these places uh, on a weekly basis. It is incredible here. But when you go to Greece, it, it just goes to a different level for a big game. And we saw it last year at the Final Four at the Basketball Champions League. Uh, they just, you know, when the, when the title is on the line, they are going to show up and it'll be a very raucous environment. Um, great. At, I mean, in terms of crazy things happening, uh 2010 FIBA Basketball World Cup in Italy. I remember Serbia against Turkey in the semifinals, uh, and that was a game probably that Serbia should have won, but I'll just never forget the images from that game and actually being there and seeing fans like with inhalers that had asthma because there's so much excitement. (laughs) And, and, And really my first experience, and it was kind of a it was a tough one. Uh, was the final, I think it was a final four. I don't know if that was my first big one or if it was the Eurobasket. I think it was the final four. Euroleague was my second tournament. And I just remember watching, uh, partisan came and played. There was Virtus Bologna that was there. Um, Ike was there. And I think it was also Benetton, Benetton Treviso. And, I just remember the fans coming in and they just got out of hand and they started ripping up seats and <laughs> throwing them in the Palau Saint Jordi and the police came in. So that was kind of the the disappointing side of sports uh, that hopefully we will see less and less as we move on. And I haven't really seen that type of atmosphere recently, but um, yeah, so that, that was kind of crazy. Also the, the super league final four in Paris, uh, I think it was 2000, 2001. That, that was an incredible final four. Maccabi Tel Aviv winning it. Their fans traveling in force in mass to Paris. And uh, that, that was Panathinaikos, Seska Moscow. I think that was Andre Kirilenko's last game with Seska before he went to the NBA. And FS, as they were known then, FS Pilsen. Uh, so just usually, you know, with, with the big, the big tournaments and the big, the big final fours and what have you and, it it gets pretty crazy. So especially in an international tournament, if the home team has advanced to the final, it it gets really crazy. Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned uh, last year's final four. I was just wondering, what was it like to be there in Athens uh, for the Ike championship last year at the BCL final four? Uh, It was special. It was, um, I always uh, personally, for some reason, and, and Dave might be like this as well, because he's been doing this a long time. For some reason, when you go to Greece, uh, I, I just find, first of all, the media and the fans, they're very intelligent. They understand the game of basketball. They have a lot of passion. And to be there uh, with just a crowd that was, you know, they they play kind of in the shadow, really, uh, the last 15 years or so of, of Panathinaikos and Olympiakos. And for them for Ike to have such a great year as they did last year when they also won the Greek cup um, and to, to be going for another title like that. It was, it was really special. I mean, they were really living in the moment 
And it was special to see some of those players for Ike, and especially the Greek players, the Shakotas and uh, Larizakis's, you know, those, those guys. It, I, I just felt really happy, in all honesty, just to be a part of it and just to be able to, to witness all of this. Yeah, that's a that's a really good point. That actually on the, on the podcast we really haven't talked too much about that with Ike, you know, really being overshadowed. I mean, Greece basketball in general being overshadowed by the absolute monstrous um, monstrosity of uh, Olympiakos and Panathinaikos. Um, you know, first champion was Tenerife, and then Ike was was last year. You know, this is the third season for you calling games. In the in the basketball champions league and also writing about it uh, a little bit for BCL as well. Um, maybe just your thoughts about the development of the league over that time. Well, I think there's been one constant first of all about this uh, competition, and there's been kind of an unpredictability factor, which has been very it's been refreshing uh, week in and week out. You can have an idea who might win games, but upsets are always around the corner and you know you also have two seasons of the regular season and and the playoffs so you have it's one thing to win in the regular season but then when you when you get to the playoffs you got to change the chip and you got to know uh that you you got to bring it or you're going to get knocked out um but i think from the beginning i think clearly uh the teams are i think the competition is getting more competitive uh there you know there's less teams than there was uh, at the very start, I think we had 40 teams that first year, um, and I think also some some of the more traditional uh, iconic teams, if you will, have come in and and really kind of made uh, added some spice to it. You know, I'm talking about the Segafredo Virtus Bologna, for example, this year, um, them being one of the you know Europe's most famous clubs. Uh, and in terms of uh, the competition level itself, I just think it's gone up. Uh, I think that's when you watch games, I think that that's true. And But the, the thing that really remains uh, really steady in this is the unpredictability factor. You know, we all looked at MHP Reason Lewisburg coming in as a Final Four team last year. Uh, they're going to hit the ground running. But, but what everybody forgot, I think is that they came in with basically a new team. Yeah. They had John Patrick coming back and one or two players. And after that, it was, uh, trying to gel. And, um, so, you know, and now who would, who would be surprised if they didn't, uh, bounce back and win five games in a row after losing five, I certainly wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised at all. So I think there's this wonderful unpredictability factor about the basketball champions league that makes it really refreshing. And, and in all honesty, I don't think we know, I don't know that anybody with any certainty can put down money. Who's going to the final four this year. I really don't. I think it's, I, I think upsets happen. So, and, and part of me hopes that that's going to continue. You, you mentioned, you mentioned surprises. Uh, maybe, you know, we're halfway through the, the regular season now uh, heading into the national team break. Uh, maybe some of your biggest surprises, maybe both good and bad so far this season in the uh, basketball champions league. Uh, I would say my biggest surprise, believe it or not, would be uh, Virtus Bologna not having lost a game yet. Uh, they almost lost their opener at home to Neptune, Asclepida, and they, they won that game, and then they've been able to win six more straight. So 
that in a way for me has been a surprise. And part of me thinks it's better for these guys to go ahead and lose a game uh, rather than you know, going to the playoffs and to kind of get a wake-up call. Uh, but then part of me hopes they can, they, they can just keep this thing going like uh, David Blatt's uh, Dinamo St. Petersburg did, what was it, about 12 years ago uh, in one of the FIBA competitions, the FIBA Europe Cup. They went unbeaten and they won the title that year. So they're surprised that they haven't lost a game. Uh, I'm surprised that uh, you've had the likes of um, Pashiktas, which clearly had a difficult start. Uh, this is a this is a team that that I think spends money and expects expects better. Uh, and in the regular seasons, the last two years, they've been outstanding. Um, I've I've been a little bit surprised by France. I thought they were going to step it up a little bit this year, but when you add the records of all of their teams, it's a losing record. Um, and a little bit, perhaps a little bit surprised by Monterey Venezia that they're not maybe playing a little bit more. You know, better being one of the best teams in Italy. They seem to always be pushed right to the limit. Uh, other than that, I'm not really that surprised, Dave. <laughs> um, speaking of, of Neptunus, I know you're probably the, the president of the Jared Grant fan club, uh, not having made it to the team of the week. Um, exactly. <laughs> uh, maybe just uh, some of the players <laughs> you really have enjoyed watching this season. Well, he's one of them. Um, he brings it. He brings it every week. Uh, I love I love watching uh, Kevin Punter. I mean, he's you know he had a, a tough act to follow from last year, and he seems like he's he's doing a great job doing that. Uh, also in that Virtus team, uh, is it Pajola? I can't remember. Is it Pajola or Pajola? The the eighteen year old point guard. I love it when he comes into the game. I was disappointed that he wasn't named in the recent Italy squad, but I guess his time is going to come. Uh, to play in the World Cup qualifiers. Uh, Paco Cruz, when he's playing well, is fantastic. For Fuen Labrada, he's been a lot of fun to watch. Um, Bohacic from Ches Nimberg is, uh, is a terrific player. They've only won two, two of their seven games, uh, but he's a lot of fun to watch. And other than that, uh, boy, how about, how about our, our former golf about our former Gulf Coast uh, star the other night, yeah, uh, lighting it up Filo. for Philo Ostend. Um, you know, Chase Feeler, wherever he goes, you know, he started off in Holland, won titles, and, and he showed you a championship mentality the other night when he was playing for Ostend in the upset of Sig Strasbourg. Uh, that was great watching him. And Khalif Wyatt, he's just worth the price of admission. I mean, I saw him play incredibly well when Unet Holon played against uh, Venezia earlier this season, and then he went off again this week with those 28 points, uh, seven assists, three rebounds, and two steals. Um, and, and also the likes of uh, the Pauk players. I, I like Mc, uh, a, a couple of years ago, I liked McFadden, but now uh, Hrisikopoulos, um, I was really happy for him to come out and have a big game. I think he's, he's, a, he's a kid, boy, he's 25 years old now, but he's a uh, he's a player with a lot of ability, and I think for the first time uh, since I've been watching him the last few seasons, he put it all together and made the team of the week. So those are just some of the players that I enjoy watching. I, I enjoy watching a lot of them. 
Yeah, looking at uh, l- looking at some of the title contenders this season, I, I think you're correct in saying that you know you can't really pencil in anybody for the final four at this point. Uh, but who would you consider as some of the top title contenders? You know, obviously we got Bologna at seven and zero. Then there's a handful of six and one teams: Murcia, Tenerife, uh, Jerusalem, and Ike. They're all six and one. The Italian teams are, are dangerous. Um, a- anybody else that you'd kind of throw into that mix, and, and anybody that you'd be comfortable calling the favorite at this point? Well, the one team that I watched, I have to say, the most impressive performance. Uh, that I watched this year, or one of the games that I had the privilege to call, uh, was Ike. And Ike, um, you know, they've been, as a club, they've been there, they've done it, and they did it last year, and there's no reason to think that they can't do it again. Uh, they're right there with Hapoel Jerusalem. Vince Hunter, clearly, has been terrific for them. Um, but they, I, I just like their style of play. I, I don't think necessarily they're going to blow people out, but they, they tend, you know, they just play that good Greek basketball. They're patient. So I, I would say that they are, if I had to put money on it right now, I would put it on them. Um, Beer Star Tenerife, I don't know. I mean, I, I think they've got, you know, if they play their style of basketball and they're playing well, yes, but, uh, you know, maybe Palk exposed. Uh, some of their frailties this week and the fact that they lost at home to Pauk. Uh, and I think Pauk actually are an interesting team. You know, they've won four games in a row. Uh, they'd love, they'd like nothing more than to, uh, to get in there and get a, a share of the pie, so to speak. So um, keep an eye on them. Uh, will an Italian team do it? Well, Virtus clearly, you know, they've got, they've got the players. I think they've got good depth. Um, and so, yeah, I would say to them, I don't, uh, one of my favorite teams is Banvit. I should have mentioned them earlier. Uh, and, and also kind of as a surprise team, uh, Banvit will get out there and they'll slug it out with anybody. Um, I just love their commitment to, to playing young Turkish players and giving them a chance uh, to play in this competition. I think they kind of embody what the, what the basketball champions league is all about. Uh, I don't know that they're going to win the title, but uh, I would be you know, and I think they're going to have a, a real fight to get to the playoffs. But um, maybe Murcia, probably. I think out of the Spanish teams, maybe Murcia would have a better chance than a Star Tenerife winning the title if if they're turning on all cylinders. And and don't forget, Murcia have a lot. You know, they have several players in that team that were there last year. So, and I don't I don't even know that they've started playing their best basketball yet. So um, maybe in the backcourt they might have some issues, but. Still, that's that's a team to watch. Yeah, you mentioned uh, you mentioned Vince Hunter there when you were talking about Ike. I think uh, you know if, if I had to make the call at this point, he's probably the MVP of the first half for me. Just you know, playing incredibly well for a six and one team. Um, but looking at, at the MVP race at the halfway point, who else would you kind of throw into that mix? And uh, and is there anybody that you would say right now you you would say you know they're definitely the first half MVP? Well, maybe his. Or teammate Kevin Punter, uh, I would think he, you know, I, I don't necessarily think uh, stats-wise he's always the best, but it seems like when the games are on the line and when plays need to be made, he's a player uh, that Virtus turned to, and and I think he's I think he's a player that has the green light to to do what he wants to do 
whenever he wants to do it. If you've watched basketball games, they have that much trust in him. So maybe, maybe he would be the favorite. Um, you know, the likes of uh, Hopewell, Jerusalem, they, they seem to have uh, one or two, two players that are leading the way, but not, not one standout for me. Um, so yeah, so those, I think those two guys would probably be, in fact, my two, my two leading candidates and you get, it's unfortunate because you get somebody like Jerry Grant and I know that Neptune has had a bad, a bad week this week, but statistically, uh, he's up there. And if you watch them play, he, he doesn't really do anything wrong. I mean, he is solid. He puts up great numbers week in and week out, but you know, with, uh, with Neptune at three and four right now, I don't think that you would probably mention him in that conversation. I wanted to move a little bit to the to your actual job. Um, you're you're calling you're calling these games, and I just wanted to give have you give the the listeners sort of a an idea about your preparation process. Of course, you read all of the great stories and information on the Champions League Basketball website, um, but but maybe you know you know you're going to be you know doing this game. How do you go about preparing for it, um, uh, and and then uh, you know and then implement that during the game? You know, um, I've 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 covered the same teams a lot, and that continuity I think helps. You know, you have that knowledge already. Uh, we have a, a network that you're part of, Dave, where we're constantly sharing information about teams, about players, about signings about clubs uh, a lot of it is uh, kind of funny uh, chat but it's it's very informative um, you know it's, it's crucial that, it's crucial that uh, that with so many different teams uh, playing in this competition and you can end up being assigned to do a certain game you know you need to make sure that you know how to pronounce the guy's name right correctly uh, so that is a big part of my preparation uh, making sure that that I have those those nailed on and, and really, you know, it's just a matter of just reviewing results and, and looking back through my notes and, and just making sure that I know uh, who the leaders are in this team and understanding which players have come in and which players have come out or which player might be, in, might be injured. And we also have the luxury of having uh, some statistics and what have you provided for us uh, ahead of each game that, that gives us kind of a preview. So, so that's basically it. But I, but I have to say that, you know, you, you do this for three years, um, as I have, and you're in international basketball for a long time, like I have been. You have a lot of built-up knowledge, and uh, a lot of that carries over into every week. So, But, yeah, you just have to keep up and, and, and monitor things as well, monitor the websites and, and, and also the social media. So with my Twitter, I'm always uh, monitoring clubs and seeing, seeing what they have uh, – who they have coming in, coming out, what have you? Um, in these games, you're a you're a one man a one man band, if you will, calling the games on your own. Uh, international national team games and stuff like that. You you do have a a two man booth, if you will. Uh, maybe just the differences between calling games alone and then calling uh, calling games with somebody alongside you. Well, without question. You know, I enjoy uh, having somebody next to me when possible. Uh, just from uh, it kind of changes the the dynamic 
like obviously, uh, you know, you're focusing more, or I'm focusing more on the play by play, but there's just kind of nice exchanges and you can catch your breath. And, um, there, there are a lot more challenges to doing this when you're doing it on your own. Um, you know, if you need to check some, some information, uh, you might have to, to turn your head away from watching the action. And, uh, so that, that brings a complication, but the main thing is, you know, when you're talking on your own, uh, it's just a lot, you know, you, you need to catch your breath sometimes. So that is the main challenge. But on the other hand, uh, one of the advantages is you don't have to worry about somebody speaking over you when you're calling a play. And, um, so that's probably one of the, one of the better things about doing it on your own, but it's not that that, not that that happens really at all or that much when I'm working with somebody else. But so there are, there are clear differences. And over the course, if you're at a tournament and you're doing it day after day after day, I mean, clearly, you know, it's, it's in your best interest to have somebody else there alongside you to, to share some of the load and to, uh, you know, keep that enthusiasm up. And I like being around other people, Dave. I mean, I like, you know, I like doing this right now. I like having coffee in the morning with, uh, somebody and talking and it's always nice to have somebody by your side yeah for sure I, w I was wondering uh you know kind of coming up in this business were there some announcers that you looked up to as in terms of like role models or guys you wanted to pattern your style after or maybe if there were like some iconic calls that you remember from basketball in like the 90s or something like that that kind of inspired you to be like you know what this is this is what i want to do with my life uh i mean the only person that i would probably say I, I really enjoyed uh growing up in north carolina and all of the universities there had a lot of coverage their own radio broadcasts uh and i went to chapel hill north carolina um university of north carolina and and listening to woody durham he was he was a legend the late woody durham he died just a couple years ago or i think last year in fact but he was he was a legend, and I'll never forget his call uh, when North Carolina beat Georgetown in the uh, 1982 final with um, Jordan hitting the go-ahead shot uh, in that final minute, and then Sleepy Floyd bringing, or excuse me, uh, Georgetown bringing the ball up the floor and then uh, turning the ball over, passing it into the hands of James Worthy by accident, <laughs> and then him going down and kind of dribbling around before he gets fouled and and Carolina finally winning that elusive national championship, which uh, Dean Smith hadn't won until that time. So that's, I remember Woody Durham's call and him being really excited at that time. And I wouldn't say that I tried to pattern myself after him. I, I think, I think for any commentator, if you try to, if you try to uh, act like somebody else, it's not going to come off. Well, I think it's just something that needs to come natural. And I think if you're enthusiastic about a sport, uh, like basketball, uh, it's very easy. Uh, you know, it's, it's a fun job and you look forward to doing it. As my dad used to say, Jeff, you know, if I ever had a tough time at work, he would say, Jeff, uh, you could be outside digging ditches. So, and that, and that would always put it into perspective. It's like, there are a lot worse jobs that you could be doing. And certainly there are worse things than that you could be doing that than calling basketball games. Um, the, the basketball game that we watch, um, is actually actually quite a bit different um in one regard even just like from two years ago or so or whatever um 
a couple of years ago, we kind of started up started up the hashtag free the fast break where you saw all these fouls on the, yeah. you know, to, to basically just stop the fast break. And, and, and then once the, once the, the, the refereeing associations decided to call those unsportsmanlike fouls, it was pretty quickly taken out of the game. Um, we, we, we do see a lot of um, uh, unsportsmanlike fouls being called right now, a lot of them right now being reviewed uh, by the referees. Um, you mentioned on the air that you like it, and I, and I agree with you. I do like that they have a chance to, to call and, and make the right call. Um, but you also mentioned that you like it, but you hope it doesn't get too long um, and that the, you know, that the flow of the game uh, doesn't, get the, you know, doesn't uh, you know, have a negative effect on it. Um, maybe just your thoughts about some of these reviews on these plays. Uh, just give us your opinion on that. Yeah, I think you said it all, Dave. I mean, A – Free the fast break. Yeah. If I'm a fan, <laughs> I'm not going to the game. Do it. I, yeah, exactly. I'm not going to watch somebody commit a foul uh, at midcourt and break up a spectacular pass dunk. You know, I want to see the play. Uh, so they've really cracked down on making sure the guys are are making a, an attempt on the ball. And I, I applaud uh, FIBA for for making sure that that's a point of emphasis. Um, and I also applaud them for making sure uh, if an unsportsmanlike foul has been called that they're going to get it because it's the type of thing that, that needs to be uh, taken out of the game. Uh, what you don't want, and I don't know how you how you accomplish this, is uh, you know you just don't want it to run on and on and on. I think there was a game the other night where there was just a, a very lengthy analysis of did this guy commit an unsportsmanlike? Was it really? Did he do it? Did he not do it? And yeah, it just kind of, you just kind of sit around and, you know, all of a sudden, uh, the, the, not only has the game lost a little bit of its rhythm, but maybe a team has lost a little bit of it, of its momentum. So that's the challenge is just to speed things up. Um, but there's no place, there's no place for, for, for nasty play. And we all know that it's going to happen. It does happen. So, but when you start throwing elbows around and you start making ridiculous plays, you know, Kevin Toomba was ejected the other night uh, for a push in the back of Mackenzie Moore when Ukam Murthy were playing at Banvit. And at the time, I was like, well, that's clearly an unsportsmanlike foul. Uh, I didn't think it was going to be an ejection. And they went and reviewed it, and they really looked at it a long time before deciding to come out and raise both fists, both fists and say, yeah, not only is it unsportsmanlike, but it's a dangerous foul. So he's he has to he has to leave the game, and Tumba had to trudge off the court. But you know, so I thought I thought perhaps it was a bit harsh, but on the other hand, it kind of sent a message that you know what we're here to play basketball, um, and if you're going to shove somebody from behind when they're going down a fast break, uh, you're risking being thrown out of the game. So maybe maybe next year, uh, what we'll see is we'll see less unsportsmanlike fouls. And and the game will just get cleaned up, and things will take care of them. You know, it'll sort itself out. 
Yeah, yeah. The the free flowing, beautiful game, I think, is all what we want to see on these fast breaks. So I, I I do think it's great that they kind of cracked down on that and started calling the unsportsmanlike fouls for that. Sw- switching gears a little bit, we're in the midst now of the FIBA World Cup qualifying window, where all the BCL teams get a two week break. Some of the players will go play for the national team. Some of them will probably just you know work out and and rest up and everything. I was wondering, just you know, what are your general thoughts on the national team window? because this is a, a pretty uh, a pretty new thing, obviously, in the international basketball world. Uh, well, I'm a huge fan of it. I mean, I, you know, and I've I've been a huge fan of it from the very beginning um, because I do buy into the philosophy that the national team is kind of the engine is the engine of basketball in every country, and uh, when the national team plays, everybody uh, in some way, shape, or form is going to be interested. They're either going to watch it, they're going to want to go to the game, they're going to watch it on TV, they're going to be perhaps listening on the radio, they're going to be following it on the internet. Did we win tonight? Uh, Has our team got a chance to get to the World Cup? Uh, So I think in terms of like generating interest in basketball, um, as basketball tries to become that number one sport in the world, you know, I think the national teams have a huge part to play in that. Um, I love the fact that this happens throughout the year or, you know, during the windows, because I think, you know, from all of the players that I've spoken to, they enjoy uh, taking a break and having a change of scenery. Many of them, a lot of them, most of them enjoy going back and being around guys that they've known since their, their childhood days playing basketball with, you know, they like to go home, uh, see family. Uh, They love, they absolutely love playing for their national team in front of their home crowds. And all you have to do is look back at the images of, I don't know, the Czech Republic, for example, beating Russia in their last game. And you can understand the significance of watching of, of, of these guys being able to play for their country uh, on, on home soil, which was not happening uh, for a lot of these countries until these World Cup qualifiers uh, began. And, and the other aspect that I, I really love about it is uh, I love seeing the, the 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 young guys getting a chance to play. I love watching teams like Turkey come out and play. Um, we know, for example, that Meli Mamatoglu is uh, a terrific player. You know, he's shown it for Turkey. He showed it at the Eurobasket last year. Uh, he's shown it in the World Cup qualifiers. He doesn't really get a chance to show it that much. Um, you know, playing with Fenerbahce. You know, it just doesn't get as many minutes. But, you know, the fact that he's actually able to get a chance to prove it and to do it for his country to me is quite special. So I love watching players get a chance to play for their national team. I love watching these Spanish guys. You know, a lot of these Spanish guys have never gotten a chance to play for Spain. And you can you can understand uh, during the season, you know, Spain has a, a heavy contingent of players uh, that are playing, for example, across across the pond in the NBA and so the windows have, have opened up an opportunity uh, for countries to, to deepen their talent pools. And, and we've been able to watch the likes of Jaime Fernandez uh, play and, and Kino Colom, for example. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. They've, had some, they've had some great, you know, great performances. And some countries have reacted to it better than others. You know, Spain had the foresight to do a lot of preparation before the World Cup qualifiers. They knew they would need to uh, bring a lot more players into the fold and they took a real professional approach to it so and, and and again like the basketball champions league i love the unpredictability of it i i just 
I could not see Montenegro being competitive uh, in this. And lo and behold, here they are. You know, they're still right in it uh, after that unbelievable last game they had against Ukraine with Bojan Dobjevic and Nikola Ivanovic. So there's just so many great, so many great stories. The Netherlands, for example, this has helped putting basketball in the map in the Netherlands. You know, it's, it's people are watching these games, and I think as as time goes on, it's it's only going to get better. And um, and gosh, let's leave Europe. Let's go outside. Let's go to the Far East, or let's go to South America. Do you think those people are are enjoying watching their national teams play during the windows? I mean, I will never forget. Uh, watching a Chile game in the last window and how the fans came out. I mean, it was like they were looking at rock stars out there. And Chile, I think, probably had the worst team in their group. But they just loved to come out and watch their national team play. So um, I know there have been some some uh, some hurdles to overcome, but I think I think overall it's just been a huge success. And I, and I think bringing it even back to the to the basketball champions league, it's, there's there's positives for the club as well because you have. You know, if you have teams that are really banged up with injuries, you know, this gives them a, a good two-week break or let's say at least 10, 10, 10 days or so for those guys to get healthy. Um, and then also I remember an interview with Furkan Korkmaz saying, you know, that he really enjoys going to the national team because it gives him a different uh, a sense of, of, of mentality and then to sort of get a, a renewed motivation. And so uh, when he comes back to his club, if you're in a rut, you know, you know, you're not you're not producing what you you think you should. Then you go back to the national team. It just gives you a different sort of mind frame when you come back. Yeah, I think so. You know, Sebas Saiz of uh, mm. of the Tenerife is another example. He's played in every single game for Spain, and you can't tell me that he is not a better player now, both mentally, uh, but also uh, he's just a much more accomplished basketball player now. Than, than he was before he started turning out for that national team. And so clearly, uh, Iberstar Tenerife are benefiting from that. He's benefiting from that. Spain, whether whether you like it or not, uh, they need to bring in new players because Pau Gasol, uh, Marc Gasol, um, Rudy Fernandez, all these guys can't play forever. You know, you need to have more and more players uh, in your talent pool and – so from that, you know, in that respect, I think it's uh, it's been really beneficial. You mentioned Sebastian Size. I said on last week's show that he's going to make a team of the week for the Basketball Champions League sometime this season. The way he's playing, um, I know, I know you you hope and wish that Jerry Grant makes it as well. Um, maybe maybe just one or two talking points, really quick, to close on uh, what you're what you're looking forward to the next uh, for the second half of the regular season. Well, you know what? Um, first of all, I'm look, I can't wait for that last day because you know there's going to be probably as many as eight to ten uh, uh, clubs that are just fighting, trying to get into that fourth, third, second spot. I just know that there's going to be some tight, some tight groups uh, that are going to be um, settled, not not decided until the very end. I'm, I'm thrilled with Palk how they seem to have uh, found a new energy and a new confidence. I want to see how they're going to, how they're going to respond. Um, I want to see the continued development of Bambit. I, I just always feel like they're going to have a lot of drama. I can't wait to see what's going to happen with MHP Reese and Lewisburg. You know, I, I'm almost praying that now they will just go out and, and reel off some wins. And cause I know they were really coming under fire from a lot of people. 
so for them to get two straight wins, let's hope let's hope that they come out and and have a big have a big second half. Uh, I just think overall, I mean, I just you know it's always it's always a a joy, uh, you know that to to do those games, the first game day. Uh, that, excuse me, the first the first uh, game on the Tuesday and then on the Wednesday, you can never get enough. And and after it's all done. Um, I'm kind of tired and exhausted, but boy, there's there's so many talking points. And the beauty of it is, Dave and Austin, is that you know, in just several days, you know, several days later, you're going to do it all over again. So, so from that standpoint, um, there's a lot I'm looking forward to. I'm looking forward to Ostend and and seeing if if they can build on their success at uh, Sig Strasbourg. Uh, um, so yeah, I, I can look at every single team and tell you that I'm looking forward to see how they're going to do the following week. Um, and we have uh, another seven weeks in the regular season to follow the BCL and then the playoffs. And you'll be hearing plenty of Jeff Taylor. Jeff, thank you for coming on the show. It's been, as always, whenever I have a chance to talk, fun. And uh, just uh, enjoy the rest of the regular season. Good luck during the World Cup window. And, um, yeah, uh, we'll see you definitely down the road. Okay, thanks a lot, guys. And uh, you do a great job with this podcast, Coast to Coast, and it's great being a part of it. Thanks a lot. All right, thanks again to FIBA and BCL play-by-play commentator Jeff Taylor for his time this week. Dave, what did you think about our talk with Jeff? It's always it's always great uh, talking to Jeff. Uh, I've known Jeff for, for many, many years now. I've been to many, many tournaments with him. And, uh, you know, like you've mentioned, you know, and, and, and anyone who's, who listened to the interview, uh, or watched BCL or FIBA international national team games, you know, he is a, you know, just an amazing, uh, source of information wealth, uh, just the knowledge that he has, the, you know, everything that he's, uh, seen, um, and and the great recall, you know, him going back and, and recalling some of those games is just amazing. Um, and so, yeah, just wonderful to talk to him. And 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 it's been fun actually listening to a lot of games uh, this BCL season. Um, you know, because you know, if I'm at a national team tournament, you know, where he's at, I, I don't have really a chance because I'm on site to really listen to those games. So uh, he's a great listen and uh, really gives you just the passion that he has it's uh, you know it, it gets to you and 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 uh if you don't uh, enjoy basketball uh listening to jeff then you know there's a problem yeah for sure i th- i think a commentator's energy is is kind of infectious and and like you said jeff is always super passionate and enthusiastic about the game so i'm always excited uh when i know that he's going to be calling a game so we'll we'll definitely have him on a few more times throughout the season especially as we get closer to the playoffs and the final four and uh do do some uh in-depth previews and stuff like that we'll definitely have jeff on again to talk about some bcl games and speaking of bcl games the Basketball Champions League returns next Tuesday and Wednesday uh, with Game Day 8. It's the second half of the regular season. It's going to be really exciting as you know some of these teams look to secure their playoff spots. Other teams that are kind of in the middle, there's going to be some great battles for positioning over the next couple of weeks. So Dave, looking ahead uh, to next week's games, what are you going to be watching on Tuesday? Well, I mean, there's the big game in, in Group C with Hapoel Jerusalem hosting Ike, Athens, you know, both teams at six and one. 
Um, you know, one note actually from the national team windows, um, uh, Xavier Rathan Mays was actually pulled from the Canadian roster because of an injury. I haven't been able to find out what that injury was or how, how, uh, how problematic it how how problematic it was. I would say watch this weekend's uh, games in the Greek league to see if he plays, because obviously they're going to need to have everybody in order to to win at um, uh, in Jerusalem. Uh, and the other one I have to to watch is is uh, in Group D with Besiktas uh, hosting Bayreuth. You know Bayreuth has have turned their season around. Besiktas, you know we've talked uh, you know at length uh, how. You know they're they're problematic season so far, and um, and this is you know two two teams that are at at three and four, and and will really go into the second half of the season of the regular season. Uh, you know this could really give it some direction on on on, on where uh, on where these teams are heading. Um, so what do you what do you got? Yeah, those were the two that I was looking at for Tuesday as well. Um, that that. Ike at Jerusalem. That game is going to be awesome. It's going to be a fantastic environment there in Israel. And, uh, you know, don't forget Jerusalem is the only team that has beat Ike this season. Both teams are six and one. Uh, Jerusalem beat them on the road 79 75 in that first game of the season before Ike ripped off this six game winning streak. So that one's going to be awesome. I'm excited for Besiktas and Bayreuth, like you said. And then Wednesday, there's a ton of good games on Wednesday. I'm really excited about that Neptunus versus Bologna rematch. Uh, you'll remember that from the first week of the season. That was a great back and forth game. Uh, Kyle Weaver and Kevin Punter were trash talking each other and, and trading big buckets. Uh, so that's going to be a, a good one between two feisty teams. Neptunus really going to be fighting for a playoff spot uh, while Bologna are looking to stay undefeated. So I'm really excited about that one. Also uh, on Wednesday is Pauk versus Venezia, which I think is going to be great. Um, you know, Pauk, the, a, a team that beat Tenerife in that last game of the first half of the regular season, uh, ruined Tenerife's undefeated record. Pauk have been red hot, and they're going up against a really talented Venezia team with Austin Day, Mitchell Watt, uh, Marquez Haynes, a, a lot of great players over there. So that, that one's going to be great. Um, anything else from Wednesday's slate jump out to you? Yeah, I, I think the Avellino uh, Nizhny Novgorod game could be could be another fun one. I remember uh, Norris Cole going at it with uh, Kendrick Perry. And and really, you know, I'd say with last week's show, with me poking the bear that Bandit uh, won't make the playoffs, um, if that's going to happen, or let's say not if that's going to happen, but if Ludwigsburg are going to make the playoffs, they pretty much have to win at home um, against Bandit. So uh, that that's a big one, you know, because, uh, you know, Ludwigsburg seem to have turned their season around. And, uh, you know, Banvit, we've talked about their, their struggles, uh, on, on the road. And, you know, this is a huge road game, uh, for them is huge game for both sides. Uh, two and five is uh, Ludwigsburg and four and three Banvit. Uh, so that, that was the other one that, that I'll really be watching. 
Yeah, that one should be great. Banvit have a few new signings. And on next week's show, uh, we'll talk about some of the new additions to these teams because a, a lot of teams have gone out and uh, made some moves, either dropping some players, bringing in some new ones. Um, so we'll, we'll go through some of the new additions next week and talk about what that means for some of these teams. But Banvit, one of those teams that have gone out, signed a few new players in hopes of, uh, you know, securing their spot, I guess, in Group A because they're, they're They've been solid, four and three, but that's a tough group. Nothing is secure there. And then uh, just one more game from Wednesday that I wanted to mention. Uh, Bomberg have a chance to get revenge at Fuen Labrada. Remember that first week of the season, Paco Cruz hit that teardrop miracle three-pointer to beat Bomberg by one point on the road. That was a game that Bomberg were, I think they were up by like seven points in the last 40 seconds or something like that. At, at least they were up by five. In uh, Fuen Labrada came back and stole that game. Since then, Fuen Labrada have been struggling. They started out three and zero, then they lost four straight. So they're at three and four in fifth place in that group. And Bomberg haven't been super impressive as well. Uh, you know, maybe a, a little bit underwhelming. They're at four and three. So that's going to be a big game in determining uh, the standings there in the middle of Group C. So definitely check that one out, Dave. Uh, any any final thoughts before we wrap this up? Yeah, just really looking forward to to having uh, these these teams go back at it, you know. And and uh, so you have the dynamics of of each of these teams having played each other now. So that's you know unknowns are are kind of gone. You know, you mentioned some some player additions, subtractions, and then so that might change some of them. Um, but and and then also you have to take into account that that these teams will you know kind of be refreshed as well. You know, having a, a two week break. Um, you know, definitely will will have recharged some of the some of their batteries, and so that's uh, you know this season can get long, quick, and then uh, so when you get a break like this, I think a lot of the players that aren't playing for their national team, I think a lot of the players are really appreciative of of you know not having to you know go at it on the court, you know that they can kind of just uh, relax a little bit. Uh, you know, of course they're probably doing two a days anyhow, but uh, that they don't have the uh, the games to 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 wear them down. So, but yeah, just can't wait can't wait for 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 next week it can't come here quick enough tuesday and so and then talk about it next week's show yeah great points there about the teams playing each other for the second time and then also being refreshed i think the first half of the regular season was awesome but for me this is when it it really gets good you know the the teams they know each other a little bit better in terms of their own teammates they know their opposition a little bit better uh the the games are just going to get more and more intense as we get closer to the playoffs so i'm really excited for that so that's going to do it for this week's show, Dave and I will join you again next week, and uh, we'll have we'll bring back the player interviews uh, next week and talk about game day eight. Thanks again to our guest Jeff Taylor for joining us on this week's show. For Dave Hine out in Germany, my name is Austin Green, and this has been BCL Coast to Coast. Mm-hmm.